Welcome to the podcast for Centerpoint Church. Located in the heart of Concord, New Hampshire, Centerpoint is all about living and sharing a life-changing relationship with Jesus. The message today is a part of that journey, and we are glad to have you join us. Well, here we are, this Advent season. It's a time of waiting. It's a time of expectation, right? Kids counting down the days. Maybe you got little markers at home and everybody gets to move a dial and open a window or whatever it is, but we're marking these days and this is a season of waiting. It's also a season of, of remembering what God has done for us in Christ. And one of the ways that we, we mark that waiting and expectation, one of the ways that we mark that uh, gratitude for what God has done in this season is by doing some special readings and, and lighting candles. You might remember uh, uh, several weeks ago, we, we began this and lighting the first candle representing the one who overcomes evil. Talked about the snake crusher that week, right? So we're waiting for this one who will overcome evil. The second week, we lit a candle and we marked uh, anticipation of the one who makes all things new. Mm. We get a glimpse of what God is doing and renewing all things and bringing his renewal throughout creation. And we're grateful for Christ and what he's done and we're eager for his return to complete the project. And we wait with gratitude. This week, the Wakeman family Tim and Gabe and Zira are going to read for us and light our third candle for us today. Wakemans? Oh, sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Sing to the Lord, bless his name. Tell of his salvation from day to day. Declare his glory among the nations, his marvelous works among all the peoples. For great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. He is to be feared above all gods. For all the gods of the peoples are worthless idols, but the Lord made the heavens. Splendor and majesty are before him. Strength and beauty are in his sanctuary. Ascribe to the Lord, O families of the peoples, ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Bring an offering and come into his courts. Worship the Lord in the splendor of holiness. Tremble before him all the earth. Say among the nations, the Lord reigns. Yes, the world is established. It shall never be moved. He will judge the peoples with equity. Let the heavens be glad and let the earth rejoice. Let the sea roar and all that fills it. Let the field exult and and everything in it. Then shall all the trees of the forest sing for joy before the Lord. For he comes, for he comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world in righteousness and the peoples in his faithfulness. Mm. Great, thank you. Can you light the, the first two for us there too? So we got three total lit. Awesome, thank you, Zira. There we go. Thanks, Gabe. The third candle of Advent, the joy candle represents the one who rules justly. Yeah. Thank you, Wakemans. Let's pray together. Father, as we gather in your name, we have been proclaiming your greatness. You are the king of all. You have established your rule and reign over all of creation, over all of the universe. And we proclaim your glory as we turn our faces towards you. And we put ourselves before you, 
knowing that you are the righteous judge and your judgments are true and just. We proclaim your goodness. We declare our trust in you and we come before you in humility. Father, would you do a good work in us today as we come before you? Would you uh, open our eyes to see? Open our eyes to see with eyes of faith what we might so easily miss. And Father, would you open our ears to hear that your word would come alive and we would hear what you want us to hear today. And God, we come before you and ask that you would soften our hearts, that our hearts would be pliable in your hands, to be shaped by you in your goodness, your mercy, your justice and power. God, shape us, mold us, do a work in us. We want hearts that are good soil, receptive to the seed of your word and bearing fruit bearing fruit for our good and your glory. We pray all of this in the name of Jesus, our King. Amen. Amen. In this uh, Christmas season, we're probably doing a lot of thinking about gift giving, gift receiving, right? And one of the things that's, uh, that's interesting to note in this season, when it comes to gifts, we tend to do math. Have you noticed this? When kids are little, yeah, the math is based on how many presents are under the tree. And we count, one, two, three, four, five, one, two, three, four, five, right? There's multiple kids, one, two, three, four, five, six. Whoa, wait a minute. We're doing math here and something seems a little bit off. There's five, five, and six. But as we get a little bit older, we might not do that same math, but we, we still do math. You know, maybe you've experienced something where somebody has uh, given you a gift and you weren't expecting a gift from them. So they say, hey, wonderful, it's so good to see you. Here's this gift. Maybe it's um, a neighbor or somebody you work with or uh, just a, a friend in passing. I say, oh, I thought of you. I bought you this thing. And in, the ma- in our heads, we're doing the math, right? Tick, 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 tick. And what, do you, what happens now? Oh, I owe them, right? So they gave me this gift and I don't have one to go back. That was taken by surprise. So I owe them. So we go to the trunk of the car and we look. Um, <laughs> They probably could use jumper cables or a snow brush, right? This is probably what we're doing. And so we kind of rifle through our stuff because we're like, well, I thought of you too. And here's this gift bath, right? So we do the math in our heads. We kind of like who's got leverage and who's got favored status and who do we owe, right? So I'm not going to ask for a raise of hands, but let's acknowledge that a lot of us, um, this is a time in our lives for math. And, and, and what we're looking for in this is... What does the kids say when they do the math? They one, two, three, four, five. I got one, two, three, four, five. And my sister has one, two, three, four, five, six. What do they say? They say, whoa, 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 wait a minute, wait a minute. That's not fair. fair. Exactly, right? Because that's what we're looking for. Like fair means that everything is, is here. Like we've got this innate sense of fairness. If somebody gives me a gift and I don't give one back, then I kind of owe them something to make it fair, Right? Or we're watching our, our sports teams, and um, uh, we're glad that they've got referees out there. And when the referee calls a penalty on our team, we're like, oh, I can't believe you called it for that. That's so ticky-tacky. That's, that's not even reasonable. And then they call it for the other team. We're like, oh, what a bonehead. They so deserved that, right? They so deserved that. And then there's the point where it, it seems like clear to everybody that they didn't call the penalty on your team, right? And then you're like... I hope nobody notices that, <laughs> right? So, so like notice, it, we only cry fair uh, or it's not fair when we're the ones who's feeling gypped. If we're the ones who kind of got a little bit extra or favored something, we're like, shh, don't tell, right? And this is kind of what happens. There's, there, there's a way that the world works that we've got this sense of fairness, and we look to other people, we look for some force outside of us, uh, parents, uh, uh, 
maybe uh, the company that we work for, uh, referees, the legal system. We, we look for something to adjudicate, somebody to declare what is fair. And, and we walk around with this. But the problem is, as, as I just pointed out, is our sense of fairness, our sense of rightness, our sense of what is just and good is often a little bit tainted and favors our comfort, favors our provision, favors our sense of rightness and what we're owed, right? So even our sense of, of justice can find itself a bit skewed. And, and we're looking for that one who will advocate for what is right and what is true. If we were to go look back at the history of the nation of Israel, um, we would find that there too. We're going to be looking at a passage uh, that begins our journey. We're actually going to look at a number of passages today, but we're going to begin our journey looking at 1 Samuel chapter 8. You can begin to turn there in your Bibles while I give us a little bit of context here. 1 Samuel chapter 8. Now, this is a, a, a young nation, if you will. They've, they've been brought into the land of promise. And every society needs, needs leaders, needs somebody to organize and, and be a, a good force of fairness and justice, if you will, of guarding the people. And at this point in Israel's history, uh, they, were, they were ruled by what we call judges. They were ruled by judges. These were uh, uh, tribal leaders, and there was a bunch of them throughout the nation. But one of the things that they were beginning to notice is that as they grew as a nation, they, they were feeling unsatisfied with that way of doing things. And they looked at other nations around them, and they began to see that these other nations, the big nations, the nations they were afraid would invade them and take them if they weren't strong enough, these other bigger, stronger, more popular nations had kings. And so these tribal leaders came together and they spoke with Samuel, who was a, a judge and prophet, and they talked to him about this. And this is the conversation that we pick up. And so this is uh, 1 Samuel chapter 8, and we're going to begin reading at verse 6. And it's going to take us through the end of the chapter here. Verse 6 says, But when they said, these tribal leaders said to 1 Samuel, uh, Give us a king to lead us. This displeased Samuel, and so he prayed to the Lord. And the Lord told him, this is God speaking to Samuel, listen to all that the people are saying to you. It is not you that they have rejected, but they have rejected me as their king. As they have done from the day I brought them up out of Egypt until this day, forsaking me and serving other gods, so they are doing to you. Now listen to them, but warn them solemnly and let them know what the king who will reign over them will claim as his rights. Samuel told all the words of the Lord to the people who were asking him for a king. He said, this is what the king who will reign over you will claim as his rights. He will take your sons and make them serve with his chariots and horses, and they will front, run in front of his chariots. Some he will assign to be commanders of thousands and commanders of fifties, and others to plow his ground and reap his harvest, and still others to make weapons of war and equipment for his chariots. He will take your daughters to be perfumers and cooks and bakers. He will take the best of your fields and vineyards and olive groves and give them to his attendants. He will take a tenth of your grain and of your vintage and give it to his officials and attendants. Your male and female servants and the best of your cattle and donkeys, he will take for his own use. He will take a tenth of your flocks and you yourselves will become his slaves. When that day comes, you will cry out for relief from the king you have chosen. But the Lord will not answer you in that day. How do you suppose the people responded to this? Look at verse 19. But the people refused to listen to Samuel. No, they said, we want a king over us. Then 
we will be like all the other nations with a king to lead us and go out before us and fight our battles. When Samuel heard all that the people said, he repeated it before the Lord. And the Lord answered, listen to them and give them a king. So Samuel said to the Israelites, everyone go back to your own town. What a conversation. The Lord spoke to the people through the prophet Samuel and said, look, this is what's going to happen. He's going to rule over you. He's going to make you his slaves. For God had been their king. God had been their, their leader. God was the one who went before them. God, Yahweh, was the one who rescued them from slavery in Egypt. But here they looked around at the other nations. They said, they got a king. They got a king who will represent them, who will go out before them, who will lead them in battle, who will protect them. If we don't have a king like that, then we will be vanquished. And so even though Samuel offered this warning of what would happen, these tribal leaders said, yeah, that sounds good. That's what we want. It, it seems ridiculous, doesn't it? The king will take, the king will exercise his rights. He will exercise his rule over them. And they wanted so badly to be like the others. They wanted so badly to be protected that they would give up their very sense of self. Good thing we don't do that, right? Have you ever kind of felt that way? You think about some of the things that, that, that we give up in order to have something that we can hold on to that will do something for us. We, we don't often ask for a king per se, but, but we demand rulers who will do good things for us on our behalf, who will fight for us, who will give voice to us when we don't feel like we have a voice, who will guard us and protect us, and we sell our souls to whatever master that might be. Whether it be in political leadership, whether it be finances, whether it be our work, whether it be our network of relationships, we can understand the cry of the human heart that says, I'm scared that I'm going to come to ruins. God, give me a king. Give me a king to protect us. I want to be like the other nations. And God says in this very act, you're rejecting not the person, Samuel, but God reminds Samuel, they're rejecting me. See, in a world that takes advantage of weakness and vulnerability, we cry out for one who will bring justice. And even the word justice has been extricated from its biblical foundations and understandings. And even as our world cries justice, it's in a similar vein of how a child might cry, that's not fair. What they mean is, I don't like it and I actually want power over another. Do something that makes me stronger. Do something that guards me from the incursion of another. Do something that protects me and makes me safe. This is what our world often means when it cries justice. And even some of us today, as I say that word, kind of puckered a little bit, didn't you? just got a little bit tighter but let's listen let's pay attention over and over and over through scripture God is revealing himself as the king who rules and brings justice we're going to look at several different prophets that reveal what's going on when we talk about this justice the first one we're going to stop and look at is um in the Old Testament book of Micah. Micah. And this is a passage that might be familiar to you. Micah chapter 6, verse 8. Micah chapter 6, verse 8. It's interesting, the first part of this chapter talks about what shall we do to please the Lord? Shall we bring um, calves? Shall we bring um, sacrifices? Shall we bring these offerings to the Lord? And the prophet responds, revealing the heart of God in verse 8. Listen to these words, Micah 6, verse 8. He has shown you, O mortal, what is good. 
That word there, good, is uh, tov. It's the very word that God used when he created. Remember, you go back to creation and he, he, he made it and then he said, oh, that is good. And then he made the next thing and he said, oh, that is good. Like it's, it's a judgment of God. It's not just, oh, this, this shake tastes good. It's God's judgment that says this is good, tov. He has told you, O mortal, he has shown you, O mortal, what is good. What does the Lord require of you? To act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. See, because we're seeing here, this isn't just about kings who will rule justly and bring about justice. It was a call of all God's people that they were to be a people who act justly, who love mercy, and walk humbly with God. Now, the kings are the representative of these people, absolutely. And the way the king went typically was the way that the people went. And God was calling his people to be a people who act justly, who love mercy, and walk humbly with God. Now, as we look at the biblical term uh, justice... Justice. There's kind of two ways that this is talked about. One of those ways finds itself um, uh, what we might call retributive justice. That's um, uh, kind of make it fair, right? And so you might have phrases like eye for eye, tooth for tooth. And so that was retributive justice. Somebody takes your tooth, you get to take their tooth. But it also had some limits. If somebody knocks your tooth out, you don't get to take their arm off. Eye for eye, tooth for tooth, right? So it had limits even to this. Fairness, that's this retributive justice. And that's often the ways that we think about justice. But when we look at what God is doing here, there's a second kind of justice woven into the very character of God. And it's this restorative justice. Restorative justice. And when we talk about restorative justice, which is what's being talked about here in Micah 6, 8, when we talk about restorative justice, what we're talking about is establishing goodness, tov, tell you what is good, establishing goodness that yields the fruit of flourishing for all. Now, what would often happen and what comes with this is uh, people find themselves in different stations in life. And as you look through scripture, some of those people would be the fatherless, uh, the widows, and uh, uh, um, uh, uh, immigrants, people who didn't have a claim to the land. Because everything in this economy in Israel was tied to the land. And so um, the land was passed down through the father. So if you're fatherless, you don't get rights of inheritance to the land. If, if uh, you're a widow, uh, your name, this was this culture there, your name isn't passed on into that land claim. And so you had no access to the land. And if you were an immigrant, you had no access to the land. And so these were people who had very little capacity to engage for their own welfare, for their own goodness, for their own flourishing. And over and over and over again, when God talks about justice and what restorative justice looks like, it, it, it is acting uh, for those uh, who can't advocate for themselves. And it is acting against those who leverage their strength against those who can't advocate for themselves. Because what's happening is God has established goodness when he looked at creation and said, it is good. He'd made the straight line of goodness. And his intention is that it would spread out and flourishing would be over all of creation. But what happens? Through sin, people don't act for flourishing of others. They see what they desire in their own eyes. We've talked about this a lot. They see what they desire in their own eyes. They reach, they grab, and they take. And the more that there is this reaching, grabbing, taken, taking, this is sin. Remember, this sin does violence. It rips apart the fabric of families, societies, and even creation itself. This thing that was set straight now begins to bend. It becomes a crooked stick. That's even some of the language that's used. It becomes this crooked stick. And now justice is something that, that those that have who are taking, they will even take from those who don't have much at all. And they will leverage their positions to step on 
and reach for that which they desire. And the more that that happens, the more this sense of justice bends. And so what's happening as God talks about restoring, ruling in justice, that he says there is one who's going to come, who's going to take this bent, this bent stick, and make it straight again. That all of creation would experience his goodness. And so when God is talking about restorative justice, that's what's happening. The broken stick, the crooked stick is being set straight once again. And out of the goodness comes flourishing for all. All right? And so this is this picture that's given to us of restorative justice. It's establishing goodness, a tove, as the accepted standard. What's the standard of goodness? Well, God says what the standard of goodness is. And this was back in the problem of Genesis 3, right? He said, don't eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Why? Because God says, I am the one who determines good and evil. I will tell you what is good. You walk with me and I will tell you what is good. But instead they desired to have that for themselves. They took it and the stick got bent. You see how that happens? And you can even begin to see some of the ways that we participate in that. And we see that even in our day. In our grasping, reaching, and taking what the heart desires, we bend the stick. And so God, he works to make it good. And in that goodness is flourishing. Because God is a God of abundance. He's a God of generosity and goodness. So what does he require of his people? To act justly, that they would be participants with God to take the bent, crooked stick and make it straight. And notice he says, to act justly, to love mercy. Sometimes when we get really caught up in justice, man, we're working hard to bend that stick. Uh, uh, uh. And what can happen is we actually allow our anger to animate this thing that we're pursuing. And again, we see that in the world now when people talk about justice. It's often an anger-fueled reality. And in that anger, it often bends the stick the other way. It doesn't make a stick straight. It just bends it in different ways. And so here is God that says, if you're going to pursue justice in my way of justice and goodness... Let it flow from a heart of mercy. Act justly. Love mercy. Mercy. That word that's translated mercy is the word uh, in Hebrew, hesed. Hesed. And this is one of the most common character words of God. We might translate it mercy. That's a fine translation of it. Uh, You might find it in your translation, kindness. Sometimes we'll see it translated as loving kindness. A lot of times we see it translated as steadfast love. Hesed, who is Yahweh? Yahweh is the one who exercises, who has hesed towards his people. He is the one who has steadfast love towards his people. Act justly, love, steadfast love, kindness, mercy. In other words, be animated by the very character of God in your pursuit of what is just. Doesn't that seem impossible? It ought to cue us in and go, I'm not God. How can this happen? I'm glad you asked, and so is Micah. Act justly, love, mercy, kindness, steadfast love, enduring love, and what's the third one? Walk humbly with your God. Walk humbly with your God. For God is the one who produces Hesed in his people, and that Hesed bears the fruit of justice. Justice pursued on our own accord will not produce the restorative justice and goodness of God. But that which comes from walking humbly, putting ourselves under the lordship of God as he reveals himself through scripture, through Christ, through his spirit, putting ourselves under his leadership in humility to walk humbly with your God. Doesn't that take us right back to creation? That was always the intent. 
that the man and the woman would walk humbly with God. And as they walked humbly with God, they would walk in his goodness. They would become proponents of his goodness. And as a result of that goodness, there would be flourishing spreading throughout all of creation. But instead they took. They saw, they took, they desired, and they kept. And so our sense of justice is twisted if we don't walk humbly with our God. So this is Micah. We see, how, how can this happen? Like, what is God going to do that shapes this? If you would, turn to Jeremiah chapter 23. Jeremiah chapter 23. If you were to look at the verses that lead up to the verses that we're going to read, a uh, couple of chapters before this, it's actually a pronouncement of of judgment on God's people and the nation of Israel because they have not acted justly. They have leveraged power against those who needed their advocacy. And so then God says, I'm going to turn you over to these other nations. You want to be like these other nations? I will give you over to it and now you will be ruled by them. We call that exile. And so it's actually right in the midst of that space that God offers this hope, this hope. Listen to these words of Jeremiah chapter 23, uh, verses five and six. The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up for David a righteous branch, a king who will reign wisely and do what is just and right in the land. In his days, Judah will be saved and Israel will live in safety. This is the name by which he will be called, the Lord, our righteous Savior. And so here they are in the midst of having just come through this, this judgment of God who says, I am going to raise one up. And you notice how he called him um, a, a branch of David. That goes back to a promise that God made to King David, the second of the kings, the first king, Saul. Talk about crooked sticks. This was Saul. Interestingly enough, Saul means um, asked for. That's what his name means. He was the one asked for. I was like, you asked for it, and they got Saul. And then after Saul's reign, there came David. David was a pretty mixed bag in this whole thing too. But God made David a promise, not because David did it all right, but because God is good. And so God made David a promise. He said, you will have a descendant who will eternally sit on the throne. What? That's amazing. What a gift to the house of David and to the nation of Israel. And so there's this anticipation that the seed of David would take his place on the throne. And so we look at Solomon. This must be the one. Oh, this isn't the one. And we look at the next. This must be the one. Oh, this isn't the one. And so in the midst of this, oh, this isn't the one. Right? Because God is just saying, I've raised up these kings and you've all neglected justice. You've neglected justice and righteousness. But there is one who is coming. It will be from the branch of David. The, the tree that is cut off will have a sprout come out of it. And out of that sprout will be the one that I send. And he will reign wisely. And he will do what is just and right in the land. And there will be flourishing. Listen to how he talks about that flourishing. In his days, Judah will be saved. And Israel will live in safety. And he will be called the Lord, our righteous Savior. God in exile, was making a way for one who would come to rule and reign with restorative justice, the righteous branch for David. Gets even better. Let's look at um, Isaiah. If we look at Isaiah chapter 42, the first four verses here. Isaiah chapter 42, verses 1 through 4. Right, God is speaking through the prophet Isaiah. Here is my servant whom I uphold, my chosen one in whom I delight. I will put my spirit on him and he will bring justice to the nations. Do you see this? This isn't even just about bringing what is good, bending the stick only for Israel, for Judah, but to all nations. He will bring justice to to the nations, he will not shout or cry out or raise his voice in the streets, 
A bruised reed he will not break. A smoldering wick he will not snuff out. In faithfulness he will bring forth justice. He will not falter or be discouraged till he establishes justice on earth. And in his teachings, even the islands will put their hope. This one who comes, this anointed one, will bring about justice. For over and over, the kings and the people have failed to walk in justice. And their hearts cry out, just like our hearts cry out of, it's not fair, it's not right. Somebody, somebody, please bring justice. And even in our world today, there is this cry for justice. Who will do this? Who will bring justice and righteousness to the nations? We turn forward several generations from these prophets. And we listen to the words of Jesus in Luke chapter 4. Turn to Luke chapter 4 if you would. This is... Just after uh, Jesus was tested in the wilderness after his baptism. We're going to look at uh, verse 16. We'll begin. Luke chapter 4 beginning at verse 16. Jesus went to Nazareth where he had been brought up. He went to his hometown. And on that Sabbath day he went into the synagogue as was his custom. And he stood up to read. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it is written. The spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners, recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and he sat down. And the eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. And he began by saying to them, Today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. The scriptures that had called out for one who would make all things right, who would once and for all lead the way of justice, making the bent stick straight once again. And here is Jesus reading this prophecy and saying, Today, here, now, it's happening. It's happening. And it's happening in your midst. You notice how the prophet talks about this and Jesus affirms when, when the good news is proclaimed, it feels like good news for the poor, those who have been marginalized and neglected. It feels like good news to the oppressed because they experience freedom. It, it, it's good news for the blind who not only don't see, but because of their blindness, they don't get to go into temple, the very presence of God. Do you remember the story of where Jesus was going into temple, and as he's walking by, a blind man calls out, Son of David, have mercy on me. Isn't that an interesting thing to say? Son of David, have mercy on me. Why would the blind man call that out? Because he knew when the son of David came, remember the earlier prophecies, the one who would make things right, who would bring justice and would rule in justice and righteousness for all nations. That one was the son of David. So here's a blind man. He couldn't go into temple because of his infirmity. He was kept from being in the very presence of God where others could walk past him on their way in to worship him. But he was kept on the outside. His blindness prevented him from going into the presence of God. And Jesus stops and he heals him. So he gets his sight for the first time. He can see what trees look like. He sees what people look like. He sees colors for the first time in his life. And for the first time in his life, he can enter in to the temple courts where he praises God. 
This is being fulfilled in your hearing today. And we see this in Jesus. He is the one anointed by God to bring justice, to rule in righteousness. To take the crooked stick and make it straight. And we see that over and over. The blind man. The woman caught in adultery. Right? A lot of you know the story in John 8. They drag a woman out of the very act. Drag her before Jesus. There was no man there. Takes two to tango. Right? The whole situation was unjust. They were leveraging power against the vulnerable woman. Who found herself in that place. Not because she even really wanted to be there, but because society gave her so few opportunities. It was a misogynistic society that took what it saw and desired. But she was the one that got dragged. And Jesus, creator, stood between her accusers. Let the first one without sin cast the first stone. And one by one, the rocks drop and they walk away. And he says, woman, where are your accusers? And she says, they're gone. He says, then neither do I accuse you. Go, leave your life of sin. He invited her into goodness, into flourishing, into life. That's what the righteous judge does. And it culminated on the cross where he put himself in our place. Ravaged by our own sin, our own desire to take and to grab and to keep for ourselves, he put himself. We could not stand against the bondage of our own sin. We could not stand under the weight of our own mortality and death. And yet the perfect lamb of God gave himself. And on that cross, he gave himself to the point of death where his body was ravaged by sinful man to the point of death. And he did that to free those who could not free themselves. The anointed one, the ruling one, who rules with justice and righteousness. He is the one who has come. And we live in a world where we continue to feel the sting of the bent sticks. We know what it is to have justice bent against us and our soul cries out, who will make it right? Who? For we cannot bear under the bondage of our own sin and corruption the desires that drive us to grasp and take who will free us. The anointed one who comes with justice in his wake that yields the fruit of freedom, peace, joy, strength, salvation for the nations. And so how do we respond to this, what do we do with this? One, be thankful. Be thankful for the one who came to rule justly because he stood for us when we were too weak to fight for ourselves. We could not ward off sin and death, but he came that we might be freed. So breathe deeply, my friends. When the anointed one comes, it's good news for the oppressed. It's good news for the poor. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. It's good news for the mourning. It's good news for those who are held captive. Who is it good news for? It is good news for us. For he has come 
to set the captives free and make the crooked stick straight once again. But also, not only be thankful for what he has done for you, for me, but walk with him humbly such that the world gets a taste of his restorative justice. That we would be people who, when we are in a place of uh, flourishing and abundance, we don't leverage it for our good, but rather we leverage it for the good of another. We leverage our strength in order to bring about the flourishing goodness of those who are weak and vulnerable and marginalized. We might not qualify them in the same way that they did in the Old Testament or even in the New Testament as the the fatherless, the widows, and the immigrants. Like We might, but there are others around us too who they try to give voice, but they just don't have it. When we have voice, we leverage it not for our good, not to step up one more time to take what we desire, but to walk in restorative justice, to walk humbly with our God, is to look and to see and to participate with what God is doing in the world around us, that we might leverage whatever strength we have to bring about the flourishing goodness of those who are weak, vulnerable, and marginalized. Think about how this might work in your home, in your marriage. Heidi and I both come into our marriage with weaknesses and vulnerability and strengths. And sometimes what we do, even in the context of our conflict in marriage, we want to win, right? I want to win. And I try to set the argument up just right. And I'm like, oh, 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 here we are. If I just say this one thing, I got her, I win. What does the Lord require of you? Act justly. Oh, love mercy. Ooh, Walk humbly with our God, right? And so it makes a difference in our marriages, in our home, that we would leverage protective strength over vulnerability, weakness, and even failure, exercising mercy. And we both come into it with these things. Parents and children, right? As, as parents, we've got all the cards. The credit cards... The keys to the car. Like we've got everything. We've got the power. We're even bigger than them. Until they get into teenagers and start lifting weights and stuff. Then you got to walk a little bit more gently. But we're bigger. We can exert power and control. Do we do it just to satisfy? Like stop making me crazy. Shh. Or do we leverage our strength for the flourishing and goodness of the weaker one? Oof. Navigate this in our friendships, right? Sometimes we even work our friendships to get a leg up. We're like, I'm going to be friends with this one because they can this. I'm going to let the line out on this one a little bit because they cost me. How do we navigate our friendships this way? How do we navigate our community this way? I love Jim's story that he shared up here earlier in our service. That's a picture of restorative justice because there's goodness that's touching down in the midst of the pantry, in the midst of that apartment in that day. Could you hear it as Jim shared? The God who saves us and rescues us because he is the one who exercises justice. He leverages his strength and power for our good and flourishing. He is the one who calls us into himself and says, follow me and walk with me. For when we are transformed by him, when we walk humbly with him, then we too become people of justice. True, biblical, Jesus-centered justice. Not swayed by the winds of our day, 
but walking because he is the one who has taken the bent stick and made it straight. He is the one who has determined what is good. And you and I walk in the goodness and flourishing of the one who has come. And when he comes and he's here, he rules justly. There's nothing that escapes his attention. There is no one of low position. There's no one who has been so caught in sin that he doesn't see. He sees you. He sees you. And others may take advantage. And others may neglect. And others may exert over. But the God of the universe sees you. And he moves towards you. And in his goodness invites you in and calls you his own. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you. Mm. When I was, when we were held captive, made blind by our sin and desire, you came and you rescued us. You became one of us and you gave yourself. You rescued us when we could not do it on our own. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. We receive your grace and your mercy as a beautiful gift of your righteousness and justice. And we pray, God, that your reign would extend even in these days that your reign of justice and righteousness would extend to the nations. Do that in us, do that through us as we walk in humble obedience to you. And honestly, we so look forward to when you will return and establish justice once and for all. Oh, our hearts are hungry for that time. We ache for that time. But until then, we walk with you in gratitude and humility. Thank you. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Stand with me if you would. If today you remain trapped and oppressed by the desires that consume you and hold you fast, that which you have taken for your own good sin, and you have never tasted the freedom of the one who came to set you free, you can do that today. In humble repentance, you can do that today. Our prayer team is going to be right up here. You just come on up and say, I want Jesus. I want freedom. Help me, help me know that today. And they'll take it from there. That you might know peace, that you might know joy, that you might know freedom. For when he comes, it is, oh, so very good news. And that good news is for you. Don't leave here today without it. And as you carry it with you, do so as people who have been marked by his grace and walk humbly with him as you go. God bless you. Take a little bit to stop and reflect on what God might be saying to you and how you'll respond to him today. Wherever you are on your journey of faith, we are here to serve you. Find us at centerpointnh.org and join us on the journey of living and sharing a life-changing relationship with Jesus.